Hello, everyone, and welcome to Consumer Watchdog's Rage for Justice Report. This is our weekly conversation about the current issues we're exposing, confronting, and changing. Um, no surprise, I'm your host, Carmen Balber, Executive Director of Consumer Watchdog. And joining me today is someone who, frankly, I'm surprised I haven't had on the podcast before. Um, he has been fighting for patients' rights longer than I have uh, with Consumer Watchdog. Um, Scott Olson is joining me today. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today, Scott. Well, thank you, Carmen. It's nice to be here. I'm really, really glad to have you. Um, there's so many reasons uh, to have Scott here as my guest. Um, I've known him for the 20 plus years that I've uh, been with Consumer Watchdog. He's on our board of directors. He is the proponent of the Fairness for Injured Patients Act, which we've talked about a lot, the ballot measure to update the medical negligence cap on damages uh, that has been in place for nearly 50 years here in California and prevents families from getting justice uh, when they're harmed by medical negligence. Um, but I picked today specifically uh, because we just launched a new website and a new coalition, the Patients for Fairness Coalition, uh, of uh, a group of families and patients uh, like Scott's families who've come together to challenge that cap on compensation that prevents families from getting justice and prevents us from making the healthcare system safer. So we launched the website this week at patientsforfairness.org. Uh, it documents the stories of 60 patients from across California, every Senate district in the state, um, and Scott's story and the story of his son, Stephen, are among them. And so I just wanted to bring Stephen on to talk about this fight that we've been engaged in for so many decades now. Um, and of course, start out um, with asking you, Scott, to tell Stephen's story. Well, um, well, Stephen was, first of all, he was born in 19, 1990, so that makes him, what, 30, 31 now. And, uh, <clears throat> but this story started in 1992 when we were on a little walk in the mountains. Uh, Stephen, his sister, uh, Stephen's mom and I, and uh, Stephen fell down and a little uh, stick uh, went in his face just under his nose. So, you know, we took him to the uh, urgent care, and, and in turn, they had us go to the, the uh, children's hospital here and uh, had that fixed and everything, and uh, finally got discharged about 2 in the morning. And then about a week later, he started acting lethargic and tired and everything, and he eventually got checked back into the hospital uh, where, you know, they... Um, did a workup on him and did stuff, and uh, he was released two days later. And then the next morning, he was unconscious and rushed back to the hospital in a coma, at which time they uh, scanned him, did a CT scan, and found out that uh, he, in fact, had a brain abscess, which was caused by um, the, they told us, the stick in the, uh, the, stick in the face. And that was something that when you originally went to the ER, you had asked about, explained that uh, the the um, mishap in the woods had happened, asked for a CT scan and were denied, right? Correct. Through, through the uh, whole hospitalization, uh, my wife had asked for a CT scan, and, and I explained to the doctor when we were admitted, so we were just here a, a week ago because he had a stick in the face pretty good, and... Uh, 
you know, that was kind of brushed off. And uh, unknown to us, they, you know, filled him full of steroids at this time, which masked his symptoms, which made him appear to be better. And uh, also unknown to us is that they wrote down in their differential diagnosis that he could have a brain abscess, which is a, which is a, a life-threatening emergency. You don't just write that down thinking that he may have that. If you think he has, if someone, you know, thinks that you have that, you have to, that time is of the essence with that, in other words. And that's exactly what was the case. By the time you brought him back and they finally gave the scan and identified that brain abscess, he was in serious trouble. Um, he ended up in a coma, correct? Yes, and it already um, herniated his brain, and, you know, that caused his brain, the whole thing caused brain swelling and and uh, caused, you know, a lot of brain damage, which, you know, after we finally got released from the hospital, then after like five or six months, this started in March, and we finally got out of the hospital in, in July, and, uh, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't walk, he couldn't talk, he couldn't see, he still can't see, and of course, you know, severely brain damaged, so he was very much de uh, developmentally delayed. And, and I, I know Stephen well, he's, he's an awesome guy, but, but what you said is really um, the, the impact on his life. He will never live an independent life. Um, your wife, Kathy, who we sadly lost a few years ago, um, had to quit her job to take care of him. And when we lost Kathy, so did you. Yes, and then, 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 and then I quit my job to take care of him. And so, uh, you know, he's a handful. And, you know, and like I said, knowing, knowing he would be a handful and knowing that uh, he was harmed, uh, it was as a result of somebody's... Uh, incompetence or inaction, that's when we decided to uh, file a malpractice suit. So you got an attorney. Um, Stephen's injuries were so severe that you were able to do that, unlike many, uh, many families uh, who lose a, lo lose a loved one to medical negligence. But you were able to find an attorney. But tell me about what happened when um, the jury made their decision, Scott. <clears throat> well, one, th one thing we... Just to back up a little, I, obviously we were able to find an attorney because Stephen was still alive. Uh, right. If, if, they'd have, if they'd have killed him, then no, we probably wouldn't be able to find an attorney. But he he hung on, and uh, we went to, we went through a two week trial, and uh, within a half hour the jury decided in our favor, and awarded Stephen uh, among, among its awards was $7 million for his pain and suffering, which are the damages that are caused to you that, um, that affects your quality of life. And then, of course, you know, once the jury leaves the room, then uh, the, the, the defense attorney on the other side, he immediately um, asked for the micro cap, which lowered that amount to uh, 250000 So one of the things that uh, we hear from the other side, from the insurance industry, from the people who support keeping this uh, limit on patients' rights in place is that uh, the law is fair because you can get unlimited economic damages. Any economic damages that you suffer, you can get compensated for. It's only, you know, your pain and suffering 
your quality of life uh, compensation that's limited. But I've heard you speak very passionately in the past, Scott, and you know, you're a very even-tempered guy, but your, your blood gets up sometimes uh, about this, this very topic. Oh, well, they, they love to say, oh, you know, your, your economic damages are, are unlimited. Well, that's bull because um, if, if, you're a, if you're a child, well, first of all, if you go to court and you're lucky enough to succeed, they're going to remove, you know, whatever pain and suffering down to 250 and uh, you're left with pretty much um, what, what they think your uh, lifetime hospital bills are going to be because they damaged you. And in other words, they damaged you and they're saying, well, yeah, so we'll pay for your remaining medical bills. We'll pay for your, in my son's case, for his leg operations because his brain was damaged, you know or for his constant shunt operations. Oh, yeah, you know, you, it's unlimited. You know, you can have fun with this. But then they, they don't tell you that out of your economic damages, you still got to pay for your, for your legal fees. So that comes out of his supposed uh, unlimited award, for, for example. And then they also try to fight you. Um, Micra is one of the only laws where they can start introducing other collateral sources of insurance or income during trial and say, well, and they did this. They said, well, he's got health insurance. He doesn't need, uh, he doesn't need anybody to take care of him and all this other stuff. And, and, uh, they came back arguing that he would need $15,000 for the rest of his life for medical expenses. I mean, that's huge just to put a really fine point on that. So Stephen is dependent on others for the rest of his life beginning at two years of age, and the other side was arguing that his economic damages for his lifetime were $15,000 because, you know, everything from you already have health insurance, so we don't have to pay those medical bills, to, you know, the state will take care of his schooling, to um, even, if I'm remembering correctly, projecting that he wouldn't live very long so they wouldn't have to worry about too much time. Exactly, and that's another point, too, is that, Oh, you can get all the medical, your economic, it's unlimited. Well, if they say, yeah, but we harmed him enough to where he's only going to live three years, you're going to get medical damages for three years, in other words. Right. And then if you do live, if you live 10 years, then you're out, you know, that much, that much of your medical damages. And nobody comes back to recalculate those costs. You can't go back no. to the folks who harmed you, to the insurance company whose job it was to compensate you, uh, to the doctor's insurance company, and say, well, actually, these are the real costs. Pay up. There's no provision for that. No. So it's a farce. So that's the law. That's the cap that this ballot initiative and this new coalition is all about finally changing the $250,000 cap on compensation for even the most catastrophic, life-changing injuries. Stephen's, Stephen's lifetime of blindness and dependence uh, on you and his siblings uh, for the rest of his life, which a jury said uh, made a decision about what that would cost, what that was worth. And uh, when they left the room, the judge had to reduce it to $250,000 which is an amount that was set in 1975 and has never been adjusted. And maybe that's just what I would really love to hear from you, Scott, because you've been fighting this fight longer than I have. 
Um, you connected with Consumer Watchdog before I even started at this organization. And, and I'd really like to hear what you think about, you know, having fought this fight for so many years now. Well, I remember when it first happened. Um, for one thing, you're, you're happy that the uh, litigation is over with. And then you start hearing, and this was even before the internet uh, was, was real popular, you start hearing from the other side um, about how this uh, verdict was good for Stephen. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, this verdict wasn't good for Stephen because the defendant, now remember, the, def the defendant, I'm, and I'm going to talk about, that's all, this, all the damages that Stephen got. Um, the defendant got to keep about 70% of what the jury awarded Stephen. Mm -hmm. So Stephen ended up with about 30% of the damages that the jury who sat there for two weeks decided Stephen should get. So who was the winner? You know, who's the winner and who's the loser in this case? Um, but no, they, they were saying, well, no, this was fair and everything. And I, and, uh, I had to maybe correct them a little bit. I said, well, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I, and these are the people that were, you know, talking about how this was advantage was to his advantage. I said, I didn't see you at the jury. And it was around this time that, um, there was an op-ed in the newspaper by, uh, someone called Jamie court against, and he was speaking against the caps on, on damages. Cause I believe at the time that something federally was, uh, was proposed by Christopher Cox, who was a Congressman in the Newport, in the Newport beach area. So anyway, I wrote Jamie and, and he had us, uh, he said, well, we're going to meet at, uh, we're going to have a little demonstration or a little, uh, uh, picket at his office in Newport Beach if you want to come up in a couple of weeks. So that's where we met Jamie and got involved with this, uh, with uh, Consumer Watchdog at the time. And as all of our listeners will know, because Jamie is my co-host to this podcast, he's our president, um, at the time ran our healthcare, um, our healthcare project here at Consumer Watchdog. So yeah, I mean, what you say, what you say is exactly right. We fought these caps successfully at the national level. Um, but it has been in place here in California uh, since all the way back in 1975. So that's what uh, the new Patients for Fairness uh, Coalition is gearing towards, the ballot initiative on the November 2022 ballot, which is about exactly a year from this week, Election Day 2022, when voters will finally get to decide, should we keep in place a law uh, that hasn't been increased for inflation uh, for nearly 50 years? And we're hoping that... Uh, that the public will join the patients, take the patient's side, not the insurance company's side, because as you said, Scott, they're the ones who benefit um, from these drastically reduced awards, um, and finally update this law that has not been changed in so many years. And you're the proponent of that measure. Exactly. And uh, I should add that, you know, over the years, um, we'd received calls as I'm sure you guys do too, uh, from people who, um, and the saddest ones were people who've lost a child because they, um, they, they just couldn't get legal representation period because, uh, unfortunately, uh, malpractice, if, if it kills a child, there's, uh, the way the law is structured, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, incentive to take the case. The case just the, uh, it, it costs more to take the case than what you could possibly receive. 
And so we can continuously would receive these calls. And uh, unfortunately, every year there's more and more people. It keeps happening. There's more and more people. And of course, as the, as the um, cap in 1975 gets reduced further and further, you get more and more calls. And, and it's becoming that people, the, the, the law's a joke, and people just cannot get representation. Well, thanks for that, because I think that's uh, so key um, at, at different circumstance than what happened to you, because Stephen did survive. But exactly that, we hear from so many families that lose a loved one and then realize that this financial cap makes uh, finding an attorney impossible. They never get justice. They never get accountability. And because of that, the healthcare system, patient safety is not improved. So so thanks for, for adding that in, Scott. And and for our listeners, we would just urge you go to uh, patientsforfairness.org, which is the website, and you can find many stories from Californians from up and down the state um, who did lose loved ones and ran into um, this nightmare of a wall that says, sorry, your loved one's life was worth nothing. So thanks so much for joining me, Scott. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And thanks so much for everything you do in this fight. I'm so glad to have met you those 20 years ago. Yes. All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone also for tuning into the podcast as always. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carmen Balber, and this has been the Rage for Justice Report.